This is an ABC podcast. There's a lot of silence around these sorts of experiences, partly because there's so much fear. It's not something that people openly talk about. These female Aitus, female spirits, uh, two of the most the most powerful and feared were, and I can't even repeat their names because there was such a taboo attached to it. She was said to have prepared herbal treatments. She would visit the person and their family to speak to the spirit before requesting that they leave the person or host without harming them. And part of her role would also include finding out why the spirit had felt the need to visit. You can say that Samoan culture was Christianized or Christianity was Samoanized. Whether you live in Papua New Guinea or Tonga, spirituality has always been an important part of our daily life in the Pacific. The diverse countries of our region each have unique and powerful spiritual traditions that we have practiced continually for thousands of years. We women had our own ways of experiencing and practicing our relationship with the spiritual world and connecting with the ancestors. When Christian missionaries arrived on our shores in the 19th century, and for decades after that, many of us were encouraged, sometimes forcefully, to forget our old gods and embrace the new Christian ways. On the surface, you may think our traditional spirituality was destroyed. So many of us are now practicing Christians. But it's not as simple as that. Many of us practice Christianity and worship Jesus. But we also maintain a connection to our traditional forms of spirituality. In fact, more and more women are finding out about the old ways and incorporating them into the Christian faith. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about how women today interact with the spirit world in the Pacific. I remember when I was 10 years old, when my mom told me to gather my traditional sing-sing or dance costumes to burn in a bonfire in front of our home. These were items that my grandmothers and aunties had given me. There was possum fur worn around the head and the purpurus or traditional grass cats, necklaces made from beads and other decorations. Back then, I just did as I was told. Mom said it was the Christian thing to do. We had to denounce the spirits and things of our ancestors and receive the new way of life, a white man's religion. Looking back now, it makes me sad that I was forced to do this. But I believe my ancestors lived in harmony with their land and believed in a God or gods of their own understanding. They were deeply spiritual people. But Christianity totally changed that. But maybe Christianity didn't completely erase our relationship with our ancestors. It just altered it. Today we will travel east to Polynesia and hear stories from our sisters in Samoa, Tonga and Aotearoa. Our movement is building to reclaim women's ancestral knowledge and it's changing our understanding of what spirituality means in the modern Pacific. Someone doing just that is Carlo Miller, a poet from Tonga and the program director of Mana Moana, a leadership program that harnesses indigenous language and ancestral knowledge. She was raised a Methodist in Aotearoa and went through her education at a time when there was a Maori indigenous renaissance. My understandings of Indigenous spirituality and what that could look like is grounded in what I've seen from Māori here. When I 
went to work in Tonga as a young teacher, I had some experiences and encounters that would be considered otherworldly. I had an experience that we might refer to as pukitevolo, whereby I saw things that no one else could see. I could hear things. An easy way of describing it is that I was just in another realm. I had quite terrifying dreams and visions at that time. And I left Tonga and went back to New Zealand where the understanding was that I had a mental health breakdown and that those were psychoses and hallucinations and I was very sick. And I more or less accepted that to be true, but it wasn't until much later that I learned about our family history and understood that I was seeing things that had happened in my family history. And in particular, there was a recurring it's hard to say it was a dream because it was so real to me. I would be in Tonga, we live on Halatu'i, which is the same street as the king. And I would be taken to Malaikula, which is the royal burial grounds, which is about 50 metres from our house. And I would have the experience of being burned wow. and hung. And there would be like a jeering crowd. And it was very, very dangerous for me in this in this situation. Just every single night I would be taken there and I'd be killed in different ways. And so from what the Western psychiatric system said to me, that was just all delusion. And I thought, well, I must have just been so scared and remembered things I'd watched on TV about witches being burned and stuff because it was a terrifying experience. You've got animals appearing, shape-shifting, people speaking from under the floor you've got um, loved ones around you morphing you're seeing you're in scenarios that are like you're in another time period anyway I found out much later quite aside from the many family dynamics that I was sort of privy to in this state that once upon a time there was a goddess and her name was Hikuleo and she was the primary goddess of the Tuitonga. And Tonga revolved around her. The Tuitonga are just the earthly representatives of this divine female. And every harvest was dedicated to her. She was it. She was the eldest sister of Maui and Tangaloa. But when King George I converted to Christianity, which secured him his power, he killed his priestess from behind and with missionaries went around and hung and burned and beat actually all of the goddess sculptures. So you can go and see representations of Hikuleo at the Auckland Memorial Museum and they still have the nooses around their necks from that time. They're still beaten with their faces damaged and their arms chopped off. There was quite a tradition of missionaries taking these sculptures all around the world. In Tonga, there are only sculptures of female form. Even then, even though they're so obviously female, many Tongan academics try and say that Hikuleo was a male because they just can't fathom that it was a kind of goddess culture. It's just so counter to contemporary Tongan understandings. And when I found out about her, which was very late, like when I was maybe doing my PhD or my postdoc, I just got such a shock because I felt like in some strange dreaming way I had been there when all of that was happening without any any awareness of any of this history at all. Wow and um, Carlo how is the spiritual experience of Tongan women different from the experience of men? 
I don't know. Like there's a lot of silence around these sorts of experiences, partly because there's so much fear. It's not something that people openly talk about. I'm very unusual to be speaking openly about it, even in a like a Western context. I think for me, I went on to do my postdoctoral fellowship in social psychiatry at the Wellington School of Medicine and then went to Auckland Psychological Medicine and continued on. I'm very clear that educationally I have a considerable amount of power in that other word and I can speak to these experiences in ways that have dignity without being fearful of what anybody's going to say about me. I've been in Tangata Pacifica documentaries. I've been on podcasts. I just think actually the fact that we're so frightened to talk about this um, leads to more fear. There are so many Pacific people here that attempt suicide because they're so ashamed, so much family shame. And I just, I just refuse it. When I was in that terrifying position whereby here I was, this young woman in her early 20s, put into a psychiatric ward, told that I was going to be a mental health paraplegic for the rest of my life on an invalid's benefit. I mean, I went on to become a doctor to, I have a, um, you know, like an order of merit award. I have been around the world doing things. I'm an award-winning poet. I'm not frightened to speak about these things and I understand how important it is. It would have made a big difference for me if anyone had spoken out publicly when I was in that darkness and shame. Carlo Miller openly sharing her experiences there. And by doing this, She's taking away the shame and fear so many of us feel when we talk about our spiritual experiences. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Does belonging to the church mean you have to cut yourself off from your ancestral beliefs? Not necessarily, and for many, the two go hand in hand. Salah Fasaulala Tango Ilelangi Leota is an early childhood educator with the Ministry of Pacific Peoples in New Zealand. Our family is integrating traditional belief systems with Christian teachings or learnings. When the, the missionaries arrived in Samoa, rather than planting, this is the analogy, rather than planting a tree called Christianity, they got absorbed deliberately into the Samoan, the Samoan culture. Hmm. So it was one tree that had Christianity. So you can say that Samoan culture was Christianized hmm. or Christianity was Samoanized. How important is that exchange of spiritual stories and knowledge from mother to daughter especially? There's about three cultural roles that Samoan women play. One is the, the fianenga. It's ageless. So it can be from young children where the older brother looks after the, the sister or it can be a younger brother. It's Age does not matter. It's about brother looking after the sister. It's a protectorate role of being a Samoan woman. They're the advisors. They give prominence to the decision-making. The other one is called taupo, when you're the daughter of a high chief or a daughter of the minister, church minister, or... Uh, a daughter of uh, the prime minister, whatever status is, you, you get given a Taupo title. Uh, and everyone can access a Taupo title. Being a Taupo is also resonates with spirituality. You know, all these things are passed on from the ancestors. And the other one is the Taula Sea. You know, a lot of the, the healers are women, in particular with pregnancy. There's a lot of spiritual uh, protocols that um, pregnant women, prenatal and postnatal, go through 
to keep that tapu of that space with the ancestors giving, being bestowed a new life in them. Do you have a sort of a spiritual encounter experience that you uh, want to share with our listeners? When I went through my doctoral, there were several times I wanted to give up. So I think I've exhausted my vocabulary list in English and in Samoan. I've exhausted every form of energy. And the only thing that I relied on was my spiritual, because I, I, I was parentless. Both my parents have passed on mm. in that final phase. So, But before my mom passed away, she wrote a nice prayer for me that I, ha- I recite when I feel like giving up. That has remained with me. That kept me going. That got me through. I have endured all the hardships of academic learning because of that prayer that she wrote for me and she passed and I kept going. So that's my, and so it's kind of like the prayer that I I have inside my thesis and inside my heart that I remember that um, there's only one source that can physically, when I've drowned every aspect of my living, my spirituality and Christian side carries me through. Our comforting for Sala, Fausa Lala, Tango Ilelangi, Leota, to call on her spiritual guides to see her through trying times. I'm so interested in how the ideas of ancestral spirituality can sit alongside Christianity almost seamlessly, but only to a point. This is the case for Dr. Francis Koya Vakauta, a Fiji-based writer, artist, and academic. Her mother is Samoan, so she was brought up strongly influenced by that culture and its spirituality, which existed alongside a Catholic home environment. The dual spirit realms exist alongside the physical realm, and there was never any question about it. So death was never seen as an end. The concept of vatapuia or sacred relationships, and that sacred relationship with our ancestors continued even beyond death. And so it was very natural growing up in that kind of environment. Of course, as you mature and you become more cognizant of the silences around these conversations, then, yeah, as you get older, you kind of realize, hmm, okay, people don't talk about this. I don't know if this is a shared experience. And, yeah, largely, I suppose, because of the Christian beliefs and, and values around that. Mm. And how have someone, women, continue to practice their traditional spirituality even after Christianity arrived in the Pacific region? I can't really speak for others because, as I say, this is not a, uh, an open conversation that we normally have with others. I can, of course, speak to my own family experience. So my mother's grandmother was a spirit healer and a herbalist looking specifically at women and children. And so that included tending to those who were thought to be possessed. She was said to have prepared herbal treatments. She would visit the person and their family to speak to the spirit before requesting that they leave the person or host without harming them. And part of her role would also include finding out why the spirit had felt the need to visit, what was their purpose or their intention, and then, of course, treatment for other spirit ailments. So for us, the break in knowledge transmission happened when it came time to pass on that knowledge and gift to her daughter, my grandmother. 
My grandmother had been raised in the LMS congregation or the London Missionary Society and later converted to Catholicism when she married my grandfather. Now, Mama, my grandmother, said no when her mother had wanted to pass it on. And it's interesting because she passed away when I was 18 years old. And even though I'd spent so much time with her, writing her stories down and listening to her stories, I didn't think to ask why she had said no. And I wonder today, was it because of her religious beliefs? I really don't know what her reasoning was. But what I do know is that my grandmother navigated her own spirit relationships throughout her whole life. And she shared so much of that in our story sessions. And even though she was a super staunch Catholic, you know, the rosary every morning and every evening, just so prayerful and spiritual in her daily life and everything that she did. When she and my mom talked about the spirits and their relationships with ancestors and family members who had passed on, it was always in the context of guardianship, protection, and as I mentioned, maintaining these sacred relationships across time and with death not being an end to that death merely being the beginning of a new cycle and knowing that our alofa or our love and relationship continues on and is timeless. So in my family, we can track the female line from my great-grandmother through to my children, five generations of dreamers wow. and, having, and having this other sense that contributes to our ways of knowing and experiencing the world. So we have the dreams and the spirit signs, but there's a lot of sadness at not having the full set of skills, the herbal component, for example, but definitely just knowing and accepting that there's a different vibration of existence that we need to be more mindful of when we talk about mana and the source around mana and spirituality and what it means to be connected. Why do you think some women in the Pacific hesitate to talk about this, you know, their unique spiritual experiences in today's society, including in the academic spaces? In my, in my previous work, so for 23 years I worked in academia, And it was always a struggle for me when you talk about indigenous knowledge, when you talk about cultural pedagogies and ways of knowing, trying to make education more relevant. It always struck me as a gap that we would dissect indigenous epistemology in a sense and sanitize it before we would be able to comfortably engage with it. So there's certain things you just don't talk about. And it was in one of the courses that I was teaching that we explored the colonial experience and colonial legacies and really looked at how so many of us conveniently forget the critical role that missionization of Christianity played in that transition into this new way of thinking and being and doing. And we forget about the violence involved in that and what that looked like. So I think we're in many ways slowly coming to terms with this just recognizing the deep wounds that still exist, psychological and emotional wounds that require attention and healing. In Samoa, for example, the practice of desecrating or eating your totem, banning of certain practices, and the general conditioning that all things cultural were backward and primitive at best, or evil. And you still see this when so many of our people refer to our pre-Christian times as the Dark Ages, mm. or the time before we found the light. In that context, if we think about that context, which would have been, you know, my great-grandmother's lifetime when they were being told to prove that they had converted by eating their totems, of course, there's going, that's going to be followed by a silencing of things that, that people value uh, for fear of, of repercussions, for fear of what people might say. Yeah, all of those things that are very special. And, and I think that's why I found Sia Figel's treatment of Uh, the eating of totems in her novel, Free Love, quite interesting, because I'd only ever read that in older anthropological and academic writing 
in specific reference to the Christian and colonial experience, but I'd never seen that actually written about in anything creative or in current times, just things that we don't talk about. The one safe space that I have found for this conversation is through the arts, through creative writing, particularly poetry, and many other Polynesian women that I know who are comfortable speaking about this subject matter. You know, you'd see them exploring these themes and topics in their creative works as well. And I think that's a that's a very important safe space that needs to be nurtured more. Thank goodness for the arts. Dr. Francis Koya Vakauta speaking there about a great grandmother who was a healer. The gift has been passed down through the generations to Francis's daughters. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. You just heard mention that the early missionaries forced Samoans to eat their totems. It's a theme explored in a new book by award-winning novelist and poet, Sia Figuel. Sia has published five novels as well as poetry anthologies, and she expresses strong spiritual themes in her writing. She says she's been interested in spirituality since she was a child, growing up in a coastal village in Samoa. We are all raised in Christianity, but there was also the undercurrent of the land and of the sea and of the birds, stones. And I learned this not only from my aunt, who made Samoan oil, and she was very careful about taboos of where to go, what plants to get her leaves from, which part of the island not to go to because there are ghosts. It really didn't happen for me until I was living in Germany, and that was 30 years ago. And I came across writings of people like Stair, missionaries, and also the ethnography of Samoa, the new knowledge that I had learned about pre-colonial worshipping shocked me at just how powerful it was that we had this spirituality that was so present before Christianity. And Sia, why did you struggle so much with Christianity after you learned about Samoa's traditional spiritual realm? After discovering that knowledge of, of Samoans as polytheistic, which basically means we were pagans and we worshipped many gods, the national god is Tangaloalangi. And then each family had a family god. So these family gods could be a stone or a fish or the owl or the turtle or a shark or a mountain. When infants are born, they are given a god, which is the family god. It led to this struggle with Christianity, with this one god. I was asking myself, well, what should I choose? I cannot actually refute Christianity because I was raised that way. But in my 20s, I definitely denied it. But now, as you get older, I realize that if Samoans were polytheistic, then what is Christianity but another god? Instead of rejecting 
I am now more peaceful at a, in my 50s, bringing the fusion of old spirituality with Christianity. For me, it's the messengers that did cruel and brutal things to our indigenous cultures, not Jesus Christ. In your novel, The Girl in the Moon Circle, yes. you talk about the female spirits. What do they mean to Samoan women? These female Aitus, female spirits, two of the most powerful and feared were, and I can't even repeat their names because there was such a taboo attached to it. And these women, they would take young, beautiful men, manaya, or if they were really jealous of a beautiful Samoan, Taupo, Tausala, you would see marks on their faces, or especially someone with long hair. The, the spiritualism involving Aitu or gods or goddesses, it, it brings a lot of fear to all of us. For instance, my mother was deemed possessed by a Fijian chief. She was Fa'alautatau, and this is back in the early 70s. My mother was possessed, and yes, they seeked the pastor at first, but then they knew that the only way for her to be healed would be to bring a taulasea, a fofo, like an indigenous, I would call it healer, someone who had the medicine to uh, exorcise the spirits. Mm -hmm. So from the experience of seeing that, of seeing my mother, I mean, our whole village knew that my mother was possessed. And we were very young when that happened. Wow. And I tell you, I mean, even now, I am still quite traumatized by that experience of witnessing my mother in the middle of the house. She was naked and in front of her brothers, everyone trying to put her down because she was so strong and so powerful. She would just yank people. She, I mean, her strength was, was uh, still in the mind of like me, of six, seven-year-old. But witnessing that is, I tell you, it's a traumatizing experience for any child. This is very real in Samoan possessions. So the spiritual world is very much part of our world. I am so humbled that Sia Figuera has shared a very personal story with us. This is the first time she's spoken publicly about the mother's possession. But it's also wonderful to hear she has been able to accept the ancient someone beliefs and merge them with her Christian beliefs. I have learned so much listening to these stories of connections with the spirit world across the Pacific. Throughout our history, we have been told to eat our gods and to burn our traditional spiritual objects, all in the name of embracing the European ways, worshipping the Christian God, and denouncing our gods and totems. But as you heard today, our religious practice is still uniquely Pacific. We women are finding new ways to embrace our traditional forms of spirituality. And we are expressing these experiences through our art, 
poetry, literature, and film. I am so excited to watch the next generation of Pacific Island women find new ways to connect with their spiritual past and to pave the way for future Pacific spirituality. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands women for Pacific Islands women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, we're also a podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, how do you end a marriage in the Pacific when culturally and religiously you're often encouraged or even forced to stay together? When I decided to leave, I obviously came out with nothing in, in my pocket, just the clothes on my back and my uh, skills and knowledge, which they were mine. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Amanda Donaghy. Our supervising producer is Inga Stunzner. Executive producer is Justine Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. And Pasol Nabungin you next time. Thank you.